My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary. Before we jump into this week's passage, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, recap from the last weekend that we had. Uh, if you were with us or, or you saw any of the onslaught of emails or things that we sent out, uh, we, we had a little bit of a unique Sunday last week that we were referring to as the 6-8 project, drawing from the, the verse Micah 6-8 where God is one who uh, it calls us to uh, walk humbly, to bring about justice, to uh, live out of humility. And so it's a weekend where we focus on how can we bring about justice and mercy in the area surrounding us. One of the ways that we sought to do this was a food drive that we were doing. We wanted to, to uh, bring uh, usable goods to help stock uh, a partner that we have at uh, Food for Hope. This is an organization that comes alongside uh, schools primarily, uh, where uh, students who have uh, free or reduced lunch, it is coming alongside of them and helping to meet the other meals that are met are, that are uh, happening outside of school hours. So they uh, come and support these families. And, and uh, you were also incredible. Just on this campus alone, you helped to bring in 638 pounds of food that were donated to Food for Hope, which was so incredible to see. Uh, we were wondering, when they work with these students, how much of an impact will this food has? The school year is, is nearly over, and students try not to rejoice too hard at that. Um, but how much of an impact can we really have when the school year is ending? And, and just getting to hear some of the stories coming out of that. There, there was a family that had an order that they were supposed to have filled that day, that they were short on some items uh, that you all brought. And so immediately some of the food that you had brought in went out to a family. And then they were hearing that a, a couple of their food banks are going to remain open over summer. They were not planning on that, but now we are able to help those food banks remain open during the summer. Uh, it was so incredible to see that. We also were doing birthday kits to where some of these, these uh, kids don't get to celebrate their birthday. And so it was all the, the, uh, the fixings to make a birthday cake. And you brought in 20 birthday kits. So 20 kids this year are going to get to celebrate their, their birthday when they might not have been able to do that. It's just incredible to see that. And then you add to it the other two campuses uh, in Boulder and in Erie were doing this as well, where it, it totals to thousands of pounds of food that have been brought in uh, just over this past weekend, which is incredible to see. Uh, 24 people were here last Sunday night to hear about uh, this refugee training, how uh, we have come alongside refugees planted within this community to help them get acclimatized to this culture where you and I might take things for granted. As we walk into any grocery store in America, we could probably figure it out because of our experience there, but that's not the same for those who are coming to this culture for the first time. And, and so we've supported three refugee families and looking to support uh, at least another one, and people came uh, to hear about how they could be part of it. Filter of Hope uh, was, was on display here, how we are sending out a team to bring clean water through filters and, and bringing the gospel to El Salvador and getting to hear some of the stories of what's happening there. 
It's also a time that we look back on uh, another uh, giving, uh, special giving project that we had earlier this year that we called the Kingdom Assignment about the Marshall Fire, that we had people within our church, whether uh, it's, it's uh, here or at the other campuses, who have been either directly impacted by the fire or, or know people in their lives who were. And so we wanted to help support those families. Whether they come here or not, we wanted to be able to, to free up some funds to, to give a little bit of help in this time that was so devastating. And uh, we as a church were able to give away 203 thousand uh, dollars to those who were impacted by the fire, which is, is so incredible to see that. It was to the point where other organizations were seeing what we were doing, a New Life Church in Colorado Springs, a Denver Seminary, uh, where they wanted to be part of it, and they contributed uh, $64,000 because of the generosity you were doing. Other people wanted to jump on board there. Over 130 people uh, have received funds uh, who were impacted by this fire. You were able to help support them in some way, which is so incredible to see that. Every December, we have uh, a project that, that we call the Heart of Advent, where we raise funds or objects to help support people. This past year, uh, we, we had a couple different focuses. It was the refugee teams, uh, joining them, helping supply things for, for houses. Uh, but we also wanted to raise funds for... Uh, part, uh, these partners that we have at a seminary, Step Seminary in, in Haiti. And we wanted to help uh, train up some of the people who are there to, to be teachers at that, that school. We wanted to help provide them with funds uh, that they could have to help run that seminary. But we also wanted to give a chance for the leaders of that seminary to just step away for a little bit, to catch a breath, to cast vision, uh, to get recharged and encouraged in a place where it's really difficult to find encouragement. There, there are continue to be awful stories coming out of Haiti and just what is happening there uh, on, on that island. And, and we had raised money for some of these uh, Haitian brothers and sisters to go on a retreat to come out here and, and uh, get some encouragement, and we had to postpone it. Because in January, one of the leaders of the seminary was in a shooting and uh, lost a son and another one was injured. Uh, it's, it's hard to cast vision when you're mourning. And so we are excited for the fact that we finally get to have that, uh, that time, and that's coming up just in the next few weeks, uh, where we get to pour into uh, these, these Haitian brothers and sisters. It, it, why do we do all this? We have the 6-8 project, there is the, the, the kingdom assignment, there's heart of Advent, there, there's all kinds of times that we're saying we should give to this. Why do, why do we do all this? When, when, we, when we look at these ways that we can help, it, it just, it, we get hit by the fact that there are thousands of other opportunities, thousands of other needs that are out there, that while we're stepping into these things, that we're saying no to other things. It, it feels like at times when we see all that's going on, all we're really doing is making a dent. Well, we do all of this because we look at verses like Micah 6, 8, we look at the fact that we have a God who brings about justice and mercy, 
And that while we are placed in, in a, a variety of places, as we get to know this God, as we experience more of who he is and what he's done, as we are being shaped by him, we too seek to bring about justice and mercy wherever it is that God has placed us. We want to live lives of justice and mercy. And so I bring all this up, all of these stats, all of these numbers, not so that we can be self-congratulatory, not so that we could be puffed up and say, yeah, I did my good deed. No, we bring all this up so this can be a start of something. This isn't the end goal. This is a reminder of what it is that, you, that we as a church have done, and I'm so proud of the fact that we have done this, but it's a reminder that we are to continue on, that our lives are to be shaped by justice and mercy. And yes, the need is great in this world that is so broken. And at times it may feel like all we're doing is make it a dent, but dent it we shall. And this has been the encouragement of this passage in James. Last week, James was writing, uh, we saw James writing to this group of Christians that looked around them and they saw so little justice. They saw people exploiting others. They saw uh, people just amassing more and more at the expense of other people. We saw rampant greed, self-indulgence, and the people are crying out in that, where is the justice? Where is the mercy? But the beauty of the passage last week is that God is a God who hears. He hears those cries. He hears those pleads. He hears this call for action. But he's not just a God who hears, but he's a God who is able as well. That he commands the host. He commands able uh, angel armies, and he is able to bring about what he says he will do. And so this week we build off of that idea with a God like that, with a world like ours, how do we live in the midst of it? Knowing how God will make all things right, but seeing that this world is still so broken, how do we live in that space and the suffering and the hurts and the pain? It's unfortunate that most of our natural reactions to suffering are actually our worst reactions. When I'm experiencing pain in this world, often there is the urge to fight back against it or against anything that comes near me. There's a response to be passive, to turn to cynicism, to try and take control of something that I have no right or ability to take control of. And and the reason why these are so damaging to us, these reactions, is because when they fail, and trust me, they will, it makes our suffering all the worse. And so what we need in these times is some sort of hope, something to hold on to, something that will encourage us to help prevent us from reaching out to these things that will not save, that will not cope, that will not make things right. We need some sort of hope in the midst of despair. And James' point in our passage today is a simple one, but it's so difficult for us to remember. That we have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of this world that is broken, we have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. And so what is our response in this world? How do we balance knowing that God will make things right and this world is still so broken? Well, our role is to endure, to stick it out, to hang in there, to be patient. Now, we don't like being patient, 
It's so fascinating that the more convenient our world is, the, the faster things are, the least we are, uh, the, the less we're likely to be patient about something. I mean, think about it. Before, uh, to get any sort of entertainment uh, required work or going somewhere, but now just at our homes, we have access to thousands of movies just at our fingertips, and yet we get irritated and impatient whenever the loading time takes longer than it ought to. When I'm watching a video, I get really upset that I don't have the ability to change it to 1.25 speed. Like, what is going on? This needs to be faster. Fast food is not fast enough, and so now we need two lanes in the drive-thru. We don't like being patient. But James recognizes that with the right motivation that we can wait for however long that we need, and the motivation given to us is Jesus is coming back. We have hope to endure. We have hope to be patient. We have hope to hang in there even in the worst of this world because Jesus is coming back. James gives us two examples of what this patience looks like in our passage. We are to be patient like a farmer. We are to be patient like the prophets as well. So farmer and prophets. So let's see that in the text. Uh, We will pick it up in James 5, starting in verse 7. So be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back and we are to endure like a farmer. So a couple things to talk about here. What's going on with these rains? Uh, I I think that's going to help us understand what is is James' point of we are to endure like a farmer. It talks about that there are these early and uh, late rains. So in the Palestinian climate, the early rains came sometime in uh, the fall. So this would have been right after seeds were planted. And and then the late rains came uh, in the spring, uh, just before the harvest. So these rains kind of uh, put were the bookends of the farming calendar. So you would have done all the work to have all your crops ready, and then uh, you are waiting to the point to where you can harvest them. They, they kind of form the bookends of it. So this is a picture of a farmer who has done everything that he's supposed to do. He has planted his seeds. He is ready to harvest. He has done everything that he is supposed to do. He is waiting on the part that is out of his hands at this point. Now, I think this is a correction for us at times. When we think about enduring, when we think about patience, when we think about uh, sticking through it all, we might have a picture of inactivity, that we just kind of hang out. We just wait until things are ready. But that's not the picture James is giving us. That's not what endurance is supposed to look like. I really like how these, these commentators put it. They, they, when talking about what farmers did this time, they said, farmers, however, hardly sat idle in between the rains, but rather they worked hard in weeding and hoeing and fertilizing and doing whatever they could to bring their crops to full fruition. Uh, so what does this mean? In the midst of the difficulty of this world, we are called to endure and we have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. But this doesn't mean that we are inactive. 
This doesn't mean that we say, I have been saved, so here I sit. It doesn't mean that we just kind of wait until Jesus comes, that we are sitting around doing nothing until Jesus makes all things right. And isn't this the point of the letter James is writing to us? Every single week we're talking, James is writing to Christians saying, how are they supposed to live? If our role is just to just hang out until Jesus comes back, that's going to be a very short letter that James is writing. James 1.1, hey, James here, uh, sit still, stay there. James 1.2, error not found. That's not what this letter is. Instead, it is telling us week after week of what life looks like, of how we're supposed to faithfully follow after this God and the hope that is given for those who are faithful to him. Think think of all that we have, have seen so far, that we are to have joy in the midst of trials because God is at work. We're to seek wisdom of how to follow him in all things. We keep a tight guard over what we say. We do the things that God tells us to. It's not enough to just know what he says to do. We recognize that we make poor God, so instead we follow the one true God. We seek humility rather than arrogance. We, we seek to bring justice and mercy wherever it is that God puts us. That is our work between the reins. We are to endure like a farmer. We're to be faithful in what we've been called to do. And like a farmer, there are parts of it that are out of our hands that we are waiting for the rains to come. We are waiting for that time of year to come when Jesus will make all things right. But that doesn't mean that we are inactive. We are doing the things that we've been called to do. Now, there's a little bit of a difference here. Because think of that farmer. They could do everything they're supposed to. Seeds are planted, weeds removed, and yet the harvest never comes. The crop fails. All of that waiting, all of that enduring was in vain. But that is not our fate. Look at what James says. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. In fact, let's underline that, until the coming of the Lord. Is there any uncertainty in that phrase? Do you see a a maybe? Do you see a, well, we'll see what happens in that No, James, like all of the New Testament, is couched in the certainty of this event until the coming of the Lord. Our waiting, our enduring will not be in vain. So while we are enduring like a farmer, we are doing the things God has called us to do, all the while it is focused on the certainty, on the fact that Jesus will come back, that Jesus will make all things right, that while this world is so broken, we can endure through it, we can do what God has called us to do because the motivation to wait, to be patient, is right there, the coming of the Lord. We have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. We endure like a farmer, and we endure like the prophets. Uh, Let me jump down to verse 10. We'll come back to to verse 9 in a second. But uh, verse 10 says, As example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So we are to endure 
like the prophets. Uh, the prophets in uh, the Old Testament were those who spoke on behalf of God to the people. So spoke from God to the people. That was their role. Now, a lot of what uh, God was speaking to the people uh, would not have been seen as popular, it, something that continues to this day. It, as God is taking his rightful place of God over our lives, telling us how we are to live, how we are to use this life he has given us, uh, we are instead trying to be gods over our own life. And when there's a fight over rulership, well, that's going to lead to conflict. And this conflict often got taken out on these prophets. So they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and yet they were met with uh, not being well-liked by other people or worse fates than that. But they endured throughout it. They did what they were supposed to do, even in the midst of difficulty. But I don't think that's the only picture of enduring that's given to us with the prophets. Because these were people who wanted to see God's work that they saw this world as broken. They saw the pain and despair of it all and knew God would make things right. That while God was bringing a judgment, it was often to bring restoration to the land. And so the prophets were envious of the day when that would come. And yet often it, God's work was not immediate. In fact, some of these prophets said, this is what God will do. And they never actually got to see the day when God did that work. And yet they were faithful. They endured. They continued to do what they were supposed to do. They waited through the worst of it all, enduring through it all, because they knew God would work. We are to endure like the prophets. And then we get this a specific mention of uh, this man, Job, uh, how we are to follow his example of enduring as well. Now, now, Job is an interesting one to bring up, if nothing else, because the, the story of Job found in the book of Job uh, is one that causes people some concern or, or to feel a little bit uneasy. As you read through the book, it starts with a, a bit of a wager that, that Satan comes to God and says, you see your servant Job, well, he's only following you because he has everything in his life. He's got the house, the, the wife, the kids, the money. You take all that away, God, and you know what? Job would curse you. And so God allows Job, uh, Satan to remove all that from, from Job's life. And, and at the end of that, Job is still praising God. Satan removes Job's health and Job is still praising God. His wife, uh, and this is a, a heavy, heavy paraphrase, uh, comes up to him and says, uh, why, this isn't even worth it. To deny God and just die already. But he doesn't do it. He remains faithful to God. His, his friends come alongside of him and say, man, you must have done something really awful for God to treat you like all this. But Job remains faithful. He endures through it all, and he continues to praise God throughout and, and we get to the end of the story where we see the result of his enduring and, and he receives more at the end than he had even in the beginning and as he gets to experience the full mercy and compassion of God throughout. Now, I, I know in this paraphrase of the book of Job that that might not relieve some of the questions or concerns that we have about the book and, and happy to talk about it afterwards, but I, I don't want to get sidetracked with why is James bringing Job up here? Why is Job work as our example of enduring? Well, I think it's because Job went through the worst of it. He went through absolute suffering. 
absolute hardship, more difficulty than I pray that we go through even a fraction of it, and yet he remained faithful to God throughout. He remained, uh, he endured through all of this, and he got to that point where things at the end were better. As we go through the difficulty of this life, as we go through the brunt of it, we too seek to be faithful, to endure like he did, to get to the point where things are better at the other end. James has frequently turned our attention to the Old Testament to see the faith and faithfulness of others throughout. I, I think of chapter two, we, we saw the lives of Abraham and Rahab as our examples of faith. Next week, as we wrap up the book of James, we'll see Elijah and his example. It, this has been such a, a beautiful reminder from James that as we are going through this life, we are to look at the lives of those who have gone before us, their examples, their faithfulness to help spur on ours as well. It's why this, this summer we want to spend a series, or we spend our time on a series that we're calling Unsung Heroes. That there's a lot of figures throughout the Bible that we might more easily recall their stories and, and their example given to us. And yet the point is there that there are more examples of faith than we even realize. That there are more people who have gone before us, who have gone through the difficulty, who have gone through the pain of life and have given us a model of endurance and faithfulness than we might recall. And so we want to spend this summer looking at some of those stories, some of those lesser known figures and how they can spur us on in enduring and faithfulness as well. June 5th, excited to launch the series Unsung Heroes on this campus as we look at the life of Dorcas. But it's, it's the reminder throughout all of this that we are not alone in going through uh, what is in this world. We are not alone in, in trying to figure out how do we remain faithful in a world that is so broken that there are examples before us. And James shows, turn to your scriptures. In the midst of this, how are we to endure? Look at the examples of others. He is so immersed in God's word that that is what is encouraging him in the pain, and he uses that to encourage others. So we are doing a series called Unsung Heroes so that what we too can be immersed in God's word to use the tools that God has given us to endure in this life that is so difficult to do so in. We have hope in the midst of this world. We have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. And our endurance, well, it looks like that of a farmer who has faithfully done the work that he's called to do. Our endurance, it looks like that is the prophets who have gone through the hardest of this world and yet continue to turn to God throughout. But then we get to other parts of this passage that, that don't seem to connect as well. Uh, we'll get to verse 13 next week, but uh, before then, there was, there was a section on grumbling and a section on oaths. What does that have to do with us enduring, with us having hope, with Jesus coming back? Well, I, I think there is a relationship because when we are not enduring, when we are not content with God, when we are turning to other things, well, that is demonstrated by how we treat each other. Uh, think about it this way. So whenever, uh, as, as a kid or an adult, uh, when I was on a long uh, car ride, when it was some sort of road trip of some sort, uh, it was the times that I was properly entertained that I would be calm, 
that I would be patient, that I would actually be pleasant to be around. But when I wasn't properly entertained, that's when it all broke loose. I would torment my sisters. I would uh, complain about how long the drive was. I would constantly need to go to the bathroom despite not needing to go to the bathroom. And the, the idea is, is the same here, that when we are enduring, when we are being patient, when we are content with this God, well, that is demonstrated by how we treat each other, where it's treating each other as God has called us to. But it's when we are not doing those things, when we are not enduring, when we are not patient, when we are not content with this God, well, that works its way out with how we treat others around us. And the first example of this is given to us back in verse 9. It says, uh, do not grumble against one another. So uh, another, uh, do not complain to one another. Do not uh, find fault or, or go against one another, uh, those who are in the church with you. So we are not to uh, grumble against one another. The, the idea is that when we are not enduring, we start to take that out on other Christians that are around us. And look, I don't want to be the guy who stands up here every single week and talks about how this church is divided and how that's a problem and, and how uh, we, we as a church need to be unified. I would love to never talk about that again because that would mean that the church was, in fact, unified. But Christians splitting against, one each, other, uh, against each other is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It demonstrates that we are getting off mission as as people who are following after Jesus. It demonstrates that we are valuing things more than the gospel. It damages our witness towards the world when we can't even get our act together within the church. And the idea here is that we are called to endure, but when we are not doing that, when we are not patient, when our eyes shift from the hope that comes from Jesus returning, well, we start to take that out in attacking one another. And that cannot be the case. We have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. And so this uh, gets worked out in how we treat each other. When we start to see that grumbling, when we start to see that attack, how can we reorient ourselves back to that hope? The other part of it is a little bit trickier to see what James is getting at. In verse 12, he says, but above all, not that this is the highest priority, but he's, he's demonstrating, he's wrapping up his argument here. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. So when we are not enduring the way that we're, we're called to, we start to swear in such a way or making these oaths. Uh, so uh, the, the idea of oaths at this time is when you were promising to do something, you might show how serious you were or uh, to make this very demonstrative proclamation of, I will absolutely do this by swearing an oath on something else. Uh, I swear to God that I will, or I swear on my mother. That kind of captures the idea, sort of. Uh, but the idea that James is getting to is that we should be people of our word, that our yes should mean yes, our no should mean no, to the point that we don't need to demonstrate that. We don't need to, uh, to draw attention to that fact uh, by anything other than just the trustworthiness of ourselves that we should be people of our words so much to the point that we don't have to swear on anything else. 
And I think James is getting to the idea that we start to do this, we start to overcompensate by swearing these oaths when we are not being that trustworthy, when we are not in the place that God has called us to, when we are not feeling content with this God, when we are slipping from this hope that's been provided to us, that's when our trustworthiness starts to slip as well. And and it all goes back to the point that James has been making time and time again, like we saw in James 3.2. It says, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says with our tongue, with our words, well, he is a perfect man or woman, able also to bridle his whole body. So if we are controlling our words, we can control our entire body. James has been saying time and time again that our words are more impactful than just those words, that we are revealing more is going on when we say things. And the point he is making here that if we are not enduring, if we are not resting on the hope that is to come, we start to see that slip out of us with how, with how we speak, whether that's cutting down other Christians, whether it's not being as trustworthy as we are called to be, that if we are not enduring, that this starts to slip out of us with how we speak as well, how we treat others. It's demonstrating whether or not we are believing this hope that Jesus is coming back. I, I, I wanna leave us with, with this. Uh, I I loved the phrasing of it uh, back in verse 11, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We see in the story of Job how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, but the same God who is compassionate and merciful to Job is compassionate and merciful to you as well. That this world that is so broken, that that is a truth that is known to him because he is the God who hears because this is his world that he made to be uh, perfect and it is broken, because he has come and experienced the brokenness of it firsthand as well. And that we, as imperfect people, in this imperfect world, we slip up in this. We're called to endure, but we don't always endure the way that we ought to. Unlike the farmer, we don't do what it is that God has called us to Unlike the prophets that we can turn to other things or ourselves to try to get us out of this hardship, that while we're called not to grumble, we still might cut down other Christians. We're, we're told not to swear any oaths, and yet we might not be as trustworthy or truthful as we ought to be. And yet, throughout all of this, we see God is so patient with us. And as we know him more, as we know more of who he is and what he's done, as we are shaped by him, as we are more satisfied in him, as we are trusting even more thoroughly in the hope that he provides, that he is coming back, we are able to be patient in this life in return. We have hope to endure because Jesus is coming back. There's so much that we've said about what that enduring looks like. So much more that we could say as well, but I want to leave us with a picture of that endurance that we see in kids. That when a child is stuck or hurt or in pain in some way, what is the first thing that they do? They cry out for their parent. Well, why? Because they know their parent will come. As we are people in this life, when we feel stuck, when we feel the hurt of it all, 
when we just feel overwhelmed by how much pain there is around us, when it feels like all we're doing is making a dent in it, when it feels like we can endure no more, well, what do we do? We cry out to our Father. Why? Because we know the Lord is coming back. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for the hope that is in this passage, the hope that is a reality, the hope that you will come back and make all things right. That there is not a pretending that this world is fine. There is not a a call for us to just have a smile on our face at all moments, but you acknowledge the brokenness, you acknowledge the pain, you experienced it, and you've given us the ability to endure, the ability to continue, the ability to be in this life as you've called us to. That you are working currently, that you are working through us, through your church, that you are working in more ways than we could possibly realize. And we know that you will come again. You will restore things, You will make things perfect once more. Because of the certainty of that, because of the absolute reality of that, we have hope. We have hope to endure all that life might throw at us because Jesus is coming back. So it's to you and you alone we pray.